Imagine a world in which post-traumatic stress no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people it is so true. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't want to, I, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week, we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I just remember being able to stand by the water and look up at the sky and hear the noises, and I didn't think they were gunshots. I was like, those are Disney fireworks. I don't even know what to imagine for myself now, my future, because I have one. This is Life After PTSD. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. My name is Jeff McLaughlin. Your host, as always, with me, Carrie Russo. And Carrie, we got a repeat guest today. Okay? I know. I, I told her, I said, oh, wow, we have a repeat this quickly, too. It's amazing. I mean, you say that like it's a miracle, like, like nobody would ever come back to this show. Is that what you're implying? No. Right? <laughs> I'm saying that Stop usually it. you don't invite them back on very often. Well, of but. course. Well, our listeners loved her. We had a great conversation. So, of course, I did. So, Beverly Engel is a internationally recognized therapist, expertise in abuse, women's issues, uh, relationships, sexuality. You've been practicing psychotherapy for 35 years and lots of books, The Emotionally, Abu Emotionally Abusive Relationship, Emotionally Abused um, Woman. And she's been on uh, contributor to the Oprah magazine, Psychology Today. Carrie, why aren't you in the Oprah magazine? Okay. Like you have a long way to go. Craig Scott hasn't gotten me in there yet. That's true. That's true. I've uh, been certainly in lots of periodicals and things like that. Chicago Tribune, Washington Post. Um, awesome, awesome uh, woman. We had a great conversation with her last time. Today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about shame in, in healing from relationships and everything. So Beverly, welcome back to Life After PTSD. It's so good to have you again. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Well, that's, um, we don't hear that much, so I may have, no, I'm kidding, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> off air. What the listeners don't know is Carrie was just razzing on me for having um, taken a voicemail that somebody sent to me one time that was an encouraging piece of information, and I kept playing it over and over and over. So I'm like, that's a soundbite right there that I think will do the same thing. It's good to be back. Thank you. Somebody actually <laughs> says that. That's great. Hey, I, um, I, I really appreciate, you know, first of all, your work and um, just, you know, you're fun to talk to. It feels like just being in a living room, you know, with you, just talking about life. And, and I really feel like that's the way that this, you know, these kinds of conversations should go anyway. Um, so, you know, just want to, um, how are you doing since the last time we talked? I mean, you know, the holidays have happened and everything, you know, like, does anybody ever ask you that? <laughs> how are you doing? Before we get started, oh, let me sure ask. People ask me. Um, I probably am just about the same as everybody else, you know, with yeah. all the stress of COVID. And I feel really hopeful today, feel relieved today. Sure. So that's great. Well, good. I'm glad you're feeling hopeful and relieved. So today our topic is we're going to talk about shame, right? Carrie, you got a you got a right. line you're going to read already or what? Carrie's got your book open. I love this. Well, I I, I actually used your book uh, just this morning. Uh, with somebody because they have, well, they've dealt with a lot of emotional abuse. And, but what I realize is the, what the partner has been telling them, they, they've, has been programmed so much into them that they're saying it to themselves. It's not, they don't have to hear the partner say it, which this is common, I think, mm. but, mm. Um, but they're saying it to themselves. So the chapter seven, using your anger to deprogram yourself. Well, and, and this, by the way, from the book, Escaping Emotional Abuse. And um, Beverly, is that, that's a recent release for you or was that, has yes, that been out a while? Yes, it's just out. Yeah. It's just out. Awesome. Cool. And we'll put the link to that in the description of the episode for sure. Okay. Yeah. Great. 
And so what was interesting is, you know, one of the things you talked about, it was um, one of the steps is to begin to actively counter uh, the negative words, the partners, negative words and perceptions about you. And part of that is we tend to just start to take them on ourselves. You know, we just mm. start to take that and say that to ourselves, like this is truth. Um, and, and one of the things that you say right before this chapter is you talk about uncovering your partner's lies, the lies he or she tells um, you and himself will be one of the most effective I'm sorry, uncovering those will be one of the most effective ways for you to begin emotionally free yourself from an abusive partner. And I find that a lot of people, is, that's really powerful. However, they then remember when their mom said something similar or their dad or their, and so they take it on so much, which is why I think they get stuck in these, in these places. So I just wanted to know if you wanted to comment about that and. Mm. Sure. Um, yeah. Often, um, their partners actually repeating things that they heard growing up. But I want to give a real clear message that we don't want to blame victims. And we don't want to say that, you know, um, you know, they have a choice, you know, that they can either take it in or not take it in. It's very hard if somebody's blasting you constantly, if somebody's berating you, if somebody's finding fault in everything you do. It's very hard not to take it in. I don't know anybody oh, yes, who wouldn't yes. take it in. So, so Beverly, um, if I could ask you just a question right in there, because I'll forget this if I don't. I think it's yeah. so relevant. I totally agree with you on that point. But then it, it begs the question, you know, if let's say this is a this is a couple, this is a, a marriage, a, you know, an engaged couple, dating, whatever. And, you know, you're speaking to the person who is on the receiving end, you know, who's who's getting the um the abuse or whatever from the person who is themselves a victim, right? Because of all the things that they heard and they were sort of inundated with growing up, you know, um, I, I would say that that person that's taking the abuse then is not feeling any better about the fact that, well, that, you know, we don't want a victim shame or something like that. Like how do you delicately navigate that line that on the one hand affirms the victimhood of the person that, that, that then is perpetuating the abuse, you know, but then at the same time, not affirming the bad behavior, so that the person who's on the receiving end of it, you know, down the line, uh, isn't feeling like they're, you know, either part of the problem or that this is just simply okay. Like how, how do you navigate? That's gonna be a fine line to navigate, right? It's not that fine of a line. Um, victims of emotional abuse do tend to blame themselves. Um, and if they do know that their partner, their abusive partner was abused as a child or, or abandoned as a child, which is often the case, they tend to have a great deal of compassion for their partner, and they tend to believe that maybe they can be the one to to give to their partner what they didn't receive as a child. Hmm. They kind of take that role on as, you know, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to be the person who stays. I'm going to be the person who's going to be there for you. Um, so it's really risky when they do find out if their partner was victimized. Uh, but often mm. people who were victim being emotionally abused, they have no idea that their partner was emotionally abused also or that their partner was abandoned as a child. Um, and in fact, the, the abuser very often doesn't put two and two together. Mm. The abuser often doesn't put his childhood experiences together with how he's feeling today. Um, I divide abusers up into two categories. The the uh, intentional abuser and the unintentional abuser. You're talking about maybe the unintentional abuser who 
was abused himself and or or witnessed one of his parents being abused. Correct. Yeah. And he is just repeating what was done to him. Um, that's very different than the than what happens very often, which is somebody who's deliberately controlling, deliberately isolating, deliberately um, undermining and humiliating their partner. Mm. Um, the cause is the same. They probably feel so much shame themselves that they're projecting their shame onto their partner. Uh, I've had an abuser client tell me that he feels so much shame that he's never going to take any shame again. He's never going to risk being shamed. And when I asked him what that meant, he said, well, I can't ever admit I'm wrong. I know I'm defensive, but I'm not going to take on any more shame. So a lot of abusers are are full of shame and they're bent on projecting that shame onto their partner instead of going back to their childhood and doing some healing and so that they don't feel so much shame. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so right away, if I could ask, like, you know, for clarity for the listener, how do you do you have a working definition for shame that you use? And, and maybe can you also differentiate that between, you know, maybe like guilt? I think a lot of times people kind of lump those two things in together. Do, do you do you yeah. have an answer on that? Yeah. The difference between shame and guilt is complicated and simple. Uh, when we feel guilty, we feel guilty because we've gone against our own belief system or our own values. Um, when we feel shame, it's because we feel like we as a human being is, are, that we're wrong, that we're bad, that we're unlovable, that we're, that we're unworthy. Um, so shame is a, is a state of mind. It's an overarching feeling uh, that encompasses your entire being. Guilt is more directed toward an event. You feel guilty because you stole something from your friend. So guilt and, is, is sort of what you do and shame is kind of who you are, right? In that yeah. sense. Yeah. And guilt is very often, um, you know, you know um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's, it's, it, you should feel guilty. You should feel guilty because you've done something wrong. Right. You can feel shame and you, you probably haven't done anything wrong at all. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you, Carrie, is that ever, you ever kind of wrestled with those two, you know, definitions? I, I feel like they, I don't know. I don't do anything wrong. Jeff. <laughs> no, I just, I, I really do. I feel like, like a lot of times, like, you know, I always kind of maybe thought in my own mind that maybe guilt is like an inward conviction and, but shame is like, like you know, exposure. It's like an external kind of like being exposed well, whether I you wanted like that we, or not. We definitely you know? can, we definitely confuse them regularly when we feel, we think that we're feeling guilt when really we are ashamed of just who we are as a person. And often that happens right. when you have been emotionally abused. It's like, or made to feel shame though. That's that, that's the crazy right. thing. It's almost like really so twisted and perverted that it becomes like, you know, guilt being used to sort of create this thing when you really weren't guilty for something, you know, that, that to me is like really, right. you know, messed up. I mean, that's, that's, and, and I would, I would imagine, especially if it's an intentional abuser, say leveraging that emotion of guilt and maybe some of the other emotions that are powerful and could elicit shame in somebody, man, that is a potent tool. And it is, I mean, that's a dirty tactic. I mean, it is a dirty oh, tactic. Sure. All right. Yeah. I, I had um, just not that long ago, I had a client that said, and I, I can, I can share this, but he what they were making a move and um leaving 
an unhealthy situation and he was a child, young child, and was told, hey, we're doing this. You need to keep it secret. Well, in playing with a group of children, made a comment, I feel sad because I'm leaving next week or something like that. And all of a sudden gets pulled in by a, an adult caregiver who says, did you, did you tell anyone? Did you tell anyone? Did you tell anyone? And just berating and berating. And the child, I guess he wasn't pulled in right away. It was later down the day, right? He's not, he's not even remembering what he said in a group of kids while they're running around playing in the yard. And it's that shaming. And this client sat here and looked at me and said, you know, he finally remembered his mom said, well, you're, you, let me remind you, you said this. And all of a sudden he remembers and he feels so much shame and just embarrassment and who I'm, I'm just a, a bad person. And he's realizing, you know, as a grown man, oh, wow, I still feel like any moment I'm going to get caught doing something wrong. Right. And right. it wasn't wrong for a little, you know, it, he realized, wait, my, the adults in my life needed to get their act together. I shouldn't still be paying the price for, for something that I said as a kid that they shouldn't have put on me to start with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's where shame originates. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm out of it today. <laughs> uh, uh, often, often starts is that we're shamed as a child. We're blamed for something we didn't do. Um, we're, you know, told that we're a disappointment to our parents. That's a really common shaming tactic that parents use. That you're disappointing to me. Um, comparing the child to another child. I wish you were more like Tommy. You know, uh, parents can do a real job on their kids. Okay, now um, I got to interrupt now. As a parent, <laughs> Carrie's feeling we've ashamed. all done these things wrong. You know, I tell my kids, I tell my kids all the time, when I finish messing you up, I will find you a good therapist. And it's a joke in our house. Um, it's a joke in our house. And my and my husband will go, and where are you going to find one? <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Gosh, dude's taking yeah. a stab at therapist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I and. and yeah. Oh my Being that I am, for those that don't know, that are listening, I am Are a therapist. Are you sure you guys yeah. want to be doing a podcast like no, this no. Where, where, where now therapy is being exposed to yeah. people? Because people are like people sometimes look at you guys like, oh, you guys have everything together and yeah. you well, don't, do you? Well, I do personally. If, you know, I say all the time, if uh, often the person getting therapy, it's, it's funny. One of our counselors, y'all, I'll never forget her telling me, her telling me, she said, well, actually, the person that's coming out, this, it was a teenager, but old older teen. And she said, this person's pretty healthy. She's just been surviving her parents all these years. We have to just figure out how to, how to get her out of this house and stay as healthy as yeah, possible. I bet you that happens and a I, lot, though. I think to myself, yeah, those those that are in therapy Ooh. sometimes are the ones that are... Because, well, let's face it, they're recognizing the unhealthy habits. And yes, we all have yes, them. That's yes, what I say. Yeah. Everyone needs to be in ther- therapy sometime. Yeah. I mean, it, just for something. Just to have a... I call right. a but dead end but, friend. But that I know where gonna... you were going with this. So this this question, and I I'm kind of want to ask it to Beverly. So it's the like parenting thing. Yeah, back to that. The I guess the real question that we first want to know is how resilient are our kids for starters? Yeah, like, how messed how up much... are we going to make them? <laughs> how much messes we created? And then maybe you know why don't you do a little coaching? Course, Start with us, and then by you know by extension, those who are listening on this show, who are all I know, every one of you listening to this show right now who has kids is going, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they're asking this question, well, but I wouldn't admit to it publicly. So well, well, and let's face it, you know, my kids can't listen to this, right? Because no, actually, I because you talk it's about funny them. as a parent. Yeah, it's funny <laughs> as a parent though. Uh, one of my children was at the house uh, I don't know, over the weekend and made this comment, you know, I, I had a really good childhood. And I thought to myself, and it was in the conversation. And I thought I have held on to that all 
or maybe two weeks ago, we, every now and then I'll, I'll be having a bad moment. I'm like, oh, my child said this. Oh, this is good. I have two grown boys and then two other younger but ones. they had a good childhood, right? And I was like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. I didn't mess them up too bad. <laughs> so Beverly, there's a question in there somewhere, and I think it's of resiliency, and I think it's, hey, what are we not supposed to be doing? What, yeah, do, we, what, what do parents need to be aware of on this? And when we, and when we mess up, the next question is, how to come back and how tell to them. fix it, how to yeah, clean how up to the mess. <laughs> well, apologizing is always a good idea, even to small children. Hmm. Um, you know, you're being a role model uh, that it's okay to apologize. You're being a role model to take responsibility for your own actions. And you're showing your child that you're not perfect and you know you're not perfect. Uh, so apologizing is perfect, you know. Uh, I was in a really bad mood yesterday, and that's not an excuse, but I'm sorry I yelled at you. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. It's not okay for me to yell at you like that, and I'm working on, you know, not doing that again. That's perfect, okay? We we as parents can't be perfect, mm. but we certainly can apologize for our for our negative behavior. Right, and we're talking the diff- this is the there's a difference here though between like say a serial offender who uses an apology as like just that has no meaning anymore versus absolutely the average person right who's just hey look I'm I'm a human being I'm I'm human and my humanity came out right <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is one thing yeah. my yeah. yeah one thing my parents did really really mm. well I I can we're remember my father coming in apologizing. Hey, you know what? I, I was really mad. I was having a bad day and I was really mad. And what you did was wrong. You shouldn't have done what you did, but I shouldn't have done that. I, I, I overreacted and I'm sorry. Can yeah. we, can Interesting we talk, can we talk about remember this? that? Right. I yeah. can, Oh, I can remember cause he broke my Garfield phone cause I had lied about being on the phone. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Your Garfield phone. Yes. Back then uh, uh, in the well, day. I wonder if she needs therapy. There you go. Right there. It was an accident. Okay. There you go. What <laughs> else, anyway. Beverly? What do you think? All right. So the apologies were <laughs> help us. Like we are, <laughs> we are, we are putty in your hands as parents who have uh, probably screwed up our kids every once in a while here and there. What do we need well, to know? And, and the other thing <laughs> you, you mentioned, you said when you say it, when you apologize to say something like, you know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. And that's, I, I know that can be a trigger for some people. You know, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. You know, it's all right. in the heart too, right? Like it's, I can say, wow, I am so sorry if I hurt your feelings. I, that wasn't my intent. Mm. Or. Yeah, with kids, you, you, you know, yes, you're right. Adults very often say the if thing. Mm-hmm. But with children, you know, you, you don't want to tell the children what they're feeling. You don't want to say, I'm sorry um, I know I hurt your feelings, you know, uh, or I imagine I hurt your feelings, which is more correct when an adult apologizes. We should say, no, I'm not, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, but I'm sorry. I imagine that hurt your feelings or, you know, um, but with children, you don't want to tell them who they are. So I'm just, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings is perfect with kids because then they can think about whether or not their feelings were hurt or not. Hmm. That's so interesting. interesting. I've been a therapist for 26 years and I've never heard it explained that way. And I think that's really interesting. So would you, would you then say, I'm thinking with my own kids, I would then say, I mean, I may ask a question. Did that hurt your feelings or how are you feeling right now? Or is, do you feel, how are you feeling right now? Yeah. Yeah. The apology is the first step. Then you follow it up with, you know, how did that make you feel? You know, um, and I want you to know, you can tell me about how it felt and you don't have to worry about taking care of my feelings. I really want to hear how it felt. Well, I think that's a great place to take a break. And uh, why don't we uh, give the listeners a chance to kind of catch their breath. We'll reset a few things over here and you are listening to Life After PTSD. 
life after PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing, but what about you? First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re-traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting firstorlandocounseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy. Here we are back with Life After PTSD, having a great conversation with Beverly Engel, and we just love having her on the show. It's the second time we've had her on, and always good information here. And so, uh, Beverly, if I could, I want to jump right back in here. What are some of the common mistakes of, of you know, shaming? I'll tell you what, rather than beat around the bush, I'll give you an example. We had a guest on recently. Um, when we were uh, talking about uh, purity culture, um, within that happens oftentimes within the church. I'm not sure if that's a familiar, you know, topic for you at all, uh, Beverly or not. But basically, the idea that um, you know the purity culture within within some church movements was this culture that kind of emphasized, um, say, bodily purity and abstinence and things like that. Which you know, I, I got no issue with that message, but it used a lot of very powerful emotions to sort of elicit that response. Um, and shame being a big one of those, I think, for a lot of people. And that's been the after effect for many. And so we were talking to an author that really um, opened my eyes because even using words like, you know, you're you're going to be a stumbling block or you're going to be a whatever, that sort of thing. Like You the, can't wear yoga pants. You may make people want to. Right. Yeah. Like, you. say, a teenage girl is taught that or a young adult college, what a young adult, whatever, that sort of thing, like being taught that message. And what this person pointed out was hey, that's a message that actually tells them something about their identity, that your body is a shameful thing or something like that. So that was pretty eye-opening for me as somebody who worked in that field for a long time because I said, man, I always thought that I was very careful and, and, you know, very deliberate in staying away from things like shame. But I think for all of us, we probably have some shame that we project on others, even ourselves, that we're not aware of. And so I was just curious if you had some, you know, some maybe, you know, regular examples, I think that maybe come up in your work where, you know, you kind of have to coach somebody and say, Hey, I, you may not be realizing this, but this is a form of this right here. Does, I mean, the, you know, situation where the child does something wrong and, um, and the parent, you know, says, you're really a disappointment to me. I never imagined you would do that. And really giving them a heavy dose of that. That's the most common. Mm. And comparing the kid to other people, to other children, is the, is the second most common. Uh, and then just continually berating, you know, not letting it go. You know, I just can't believe you did that. You know what I had to do? I had to go buy a new new window for that neighbor. Uh, I can't believe that you were so careless and just going on and on and on. Those are kind of the first three things that parents do that are most harmful. Interesting. Okay. So how do you, you know, for a a parent that's going through that sort of real emotion, like (laughs) use that last example of maybe something I'm gonna have to replace this window or do or whatever, you know, they're obviously stewing over the financial cost or implication or whatever of, of something that's happened, meaning that there's still a lingering effect that they're, they're carrying and they're dealing with. How would you then coach, you know, that parent or influencer or whatever, you know, to more properly handle their emotions in those sorts of situations when the emotion is real? Right. I suggest that they take a time out 
uh, before they go to their child about it. You mm. know, they can they can just say, you know, I need I need a few minutes to think about this. Uh, not not go to their child immediately after the child has done something wrong, uh, and uh, just give them time themselves time to cool down, and give themselves time to kind of get their shame under control. Um, parents usually are very focused on worrying about what other people think about them and worrying about what other people think about their children. Parents are very often worried about other people judging their parenting style. So just to remember, it's probably more about you than it is the child. Children make mistakes. Children do things wrong. Um, so if you're feeling a shame attack over something your child has done, take a good look at why that is. Why are you so freaked out? Because your child made a mistake. You know, is it because you were so heavily shamed growing up? Is it because you are trying to appear to be the perfect parent and you can't stand it if your child made a mistake? You know, really look inside and ask yourself, why am I freaking out so much over this? Mm. Yeah, I think that is, uh, it, it's funny, I was talking to Jeff's wife, actually, yesterday, or a couple oh, days now, ago. Now, wait a second. Now we're getting off limits here. Okay, we're not going to air out my laundry in this <laughs> no, show. No, no, uh -uh. no. She was, and she was just relaying. We were, <laughs> we were talking about a, a situation, and she said, yeah, I just told my friend to really look at herself, look at her own um, feelings about what's happening right now before she looks into therapy for her child who is misbehaving or being a certain way. You know, look, look yeah. at where, why, why are you responding the way you're responding? And th this brings me back to what you, what we kind of said in the very beginning, when you said about, we want to be careful not to, um, I don't, maybe shame the victim and say, oh, this is your fault. You're choosing, you know, why are you telling mm. yourself these things? Because th it's often not their fault. They've heard something. So of course they're going to take it on. And I think that's, um, you know, whether you're a, we're all victims of somebody's emotional carelessness, I think, you know, and then what we do with that, sometimes it's, it's, it's not emotional carelessness. It's an abuser who needs to be stopped. But sometimes the emotional carelessness, we still have to figure out, well, what do we do with this, this thing that happened? And, um, are we going to let it live in us? And I think that's what we're talking about with kids, you know, not, not yeah, allowing, yeah. you know, telling kids, Hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't the right way to handle this. And, um, which then brings me to the fact that one thing you said that I, I think it's because I don't deal with it that often, but the intentional abuser versus the unintentional abuser. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's interesting because I, I would imagine that most people who are intentional abusers possibly started off as unintentional. I don't know, but what, it, what would you say about that? And I know we're no. getting to a close. Okay. No, they're very, wow. they're okay. very separate categories. Okay. They're very separate categories. The person who's the intentional abuser starts out trying to control and demean and humiliate their partner. Okay. And, the, and they may not be super conscious of doing it. Many are. Many are conscious of it. Um, they may not be conscious of it, but no, they, they're very separate. The unintentional abuser, I work with some abusers, and they will say to me, you know, and usually they only come to me when their partner is either threatening to leave or has left. And they will come and they'll say, you know, when she told me that when I treated her this way, she felt this way, which is what I always encourage clients to do. I, I could not believe it. I did not realize that my behavior was affecting her that way. 
Um, that's how I grew up. I grew up with, with my father berating my mother all the time. I just thought that's what a marriage is. I just thought that's how it is. And I didn't realize it was causing her so many, tro- you know, so many problems. Uh, so once they hear how, how they've affected their partner and once they probably or have lost their partner or afraid they're, they've lost them, they will very often do the work. They will very often look at their childhood and see where the origins of the behavior is and actually make changes. The intentional abuser, if the if their partner ever is able to con- to confront them, or if their partner is ever able to leave, their response will be entirely different. They will con- continue to be defensive. They will continue to blame their partner. Um, they won't. If they come to therapy, they won't be willing to do the work. The work is very hard. Uh, the work requires that the person become vulnerable and be honest about their feelings and be willing to connect with the therapist and be honest and and talk about their own childhood and talk about what they need to do. And most abusers are so defended, and we understand why, but still they're so defended, they truly cannot endure those moments of intimacy with with a therapist or those moments of just utter honesty about how they feel. They have a lot of difficulty digging inside and really looking at what's going on with them. Well, I always talk about the difference between abusers and victims. With a, with a victim, when she gets uncomfortable, she's anxious, the, her most common way to, to deal with it is to look inside and say, okay, what's going on with me? An abuser, he's feeling anxious or uncomfortable, unhappy. The very first thing he does is he looks outside and says, what did you do to make me feel this way? Mm. Okay. Mm. So, so with that kind of a attitude, you know, what did you do? You'll notice very often abusers are often huge victims in their own mind. Mm. Uh, and abusers often, that's what you will hear. You know, look at what somebody did to me or look at what you did to me or I wouldn't have yelled at you if you didn't do this to me, you know, and and turning it around. You know, if the if the partner's ever able to confront and say, you know, I can't stand that you you're never pleased. You know, you're always wanting something more from me. I try really hard to please you. And there's always something more you want. This constant criticism, I just it it's driving me nuts. And he'll turn it around and say, well, if you did what I wanted, I wouldn't have to criticize you. And he really believes that. He really believes that it's your fault that he's so critical. Beverly, it begs the question, um, you know, somebody's hearing that and they're hearing these kinds of examples. You know, what's the likelihood of a person like that actually changing? You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I hate to ask it's it, not, but I feel like really we have hard, to. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, but well, seriously, if somebody was like in a situation like this and, you know, they're in a, they're in a marriage, they're in a friend, whatever the relationship is or whatever, you know, like, is, is there any, is there any hope for this or is it, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's pretty clear. There's, there, there's no hope if the person, the abuser, and it's a female, male and female abuser, yes, by yes, the way, using mm-hmm. um, if the abuser is willing to go to therapy and do the work and endure the pain, because it is painful to dig up your own childhood. If they're willing to do that, there's a great deal of hope. Mm. But if they're not willing, number one, to go to therapy, number two, to even admit that they've done anything wrong, if they're just stuck in 
blaming the other person, there's really literally no hope. Hmm. So maybe that first indicator of, you know, for somebody that's really trying to assess, is this a relationship I can stay in or I need to get out of or something like that? They've got to ask that question. Is this person even willing to, you know, to take that first step and go do the the work, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. You yeah, if yeah. you if your partner is still stuck, absolutely stuck, yeah. and you can even maybe see it, you can see they're defensive and that they never admit they're wrong. And you may even know why. Yeah. You yeah. may know that they were so shamed in childhood that they can't tolerate any shame at all. Then that is not a good candidate for, you know, for continuing in a relationship yeah. Yeah. in a healthy way. Mm. Oh my gosh, just so much there, you know, so much there to talk about on this subject. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? And I mean, I just feel like, like you know, just even hearing that last thing was <laughs> probably the nugget that many people needed to hear that might be listening to this particular episode. But, you know, you got any sort of final thoughts that you want to kind of put a, a book in on this day with? Yeah, we're all guilty of, um, you know, blaming other people for our problems, blaming other people so we don't have to look at ourselves. Um, and we can all take responsibility for really working on not doing that. Mm. But we're also, we need to take responsibility for not taking on the constant criticism, the unreasonable expectations, um, the negative behavior of an abusive partner. It's very hard to walk away from a relationship, especially if you love the person still. Uh, but it's necessary because that shame is extremely eroding. It it whittles away at your self, self-esteem, self mm. your self-concept. It whittles away at your trust in yourself. You get to the point where you can't trust your own perceptions. You can't even trust your own reality. It's very, very damaging. Mm. Uh, so I encourage anybody that feels like they're being shamed in a relationship to really Look at it, you know, read about it, start working on yourself. I, I do offer a program to, to uh, you know, de-shame de yourself, deprogram yourself, mm. and really begin the, pro the process of, of working on no longer carrying around all that shame. Beverly, we'll put your website in the show notes for sure. Um, you've obviously got the Escaping Emotional Abuse book that's uh, recently out. You got any projects you're working on, like an upcoming book that's, uh, that's due no. out? No. So no, you're no, taking no. a break right now, catching a breather, catching yeah. your breath, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just promoting this one. Awesome. This well, why don't you do that real quick? If you would tell us, uh, tell the listeners about the Escaping Emotional Abuse book in a nutshell. Uh, well, as I said, I, I really uh, offer a program for how you can kind of reprogram yourself and de-shame yourself. Um, and I, you know, make it really, really specific about what emotional abuse really is and how shame can affect you. Uh, in very, very negative ways. Sure, sure. So it becomes a good, effective, uh, you know, almost like a diagnostic manual of sorts and then, uh, you know, sort of a plan of action from there, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. That's yeah, fantastic. Great. Well, good work for sure. Hey, we always enjoy having you on and I look forward to talking to you soon. Again, for the listeners out there, be sure to check out her website. Again, we'll put that in the description below and some links to the books. And, you know, somebody that's uh, listening to this right now, you you have somebody that needs to hear this. And, uh, you know, it would be a good, worthy share. And so that's all we ask um, on this show. We never want this information to, you know, uh, that's valuable to not be shared with those who need to hear it the most. And so if you would do that, I know that would be a great help to someone out there that you love and you care about. And we will catch you next week, as we always do every Monday when we drop a new episode of Life After PTSD. Thanks for listening.
To learn more about our work, visit lifeafterptsd.org and find further reading and resources to help you on your journey and opportunities to partner with this mission. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review and share it with your community. For production inquiries or to sponsor the show, email info at lifeafterptsd.org. 